WAMFLP 90.3 FM, the voice of the people. This is the Booze Brother Show. I'm DJ DZ. Make sure you do uh, tune in on www.wamf.org. Tell your friends we are suitable for the cubicle. Won't get in any kind of trouble. And if you're listening around the New Orleans area, remember 90.3 FM. Tell your friends, tune on in. Uh, reintroducing these uh, lovely ladies, uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves once more. Hey everybody, my name is Allie Hoddleston and I'm a research partner with the NOLA Raid Study and a current stripper. Hi, my name is Alex Shuish. I'm a Tulane student and Allie's research partner. All right, talk closer. All right, so uh, we're having uh, some friendly discussions during the music break. And uh, man, there's a, there's a lot of history that's happened in the course of the last three years that I can recall. Ever since 2016, there's lots of uh, moving parts from NOPD, from ATC, uh, the city of New Orleans in general. Um, and it really, it really hurt a community of uh, service industry employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, why don't you guys tell us what the purpose is of this NOLA rate survey? Yeah. Um Thank you for asking and for having us today. Um, You know, basically, I've I've been a dancer for five years, so I've seen a few different iterations of raids and the sort of impact it's had. And the ones that happened in 2018 just really did leave this lasting impact on my community. I noticed a lot of my friends and my colleagues feeling a lot more anxiety about going to work, people feeling unstable. like another raid could happen at any time and once a raid happens and your club closes down you don't have anywhere to work where do you go i saw friends of mine who you know would have loved to just stay living in new orleans have to move across the country or to different cities or even just start working at another club longer commute you know it's just been this marked impact on on my community and i um I'm, I'm a public health student. I go to an online master's of public health at Berkeley. Um, and so I think, you know, as both a, per, a stripper and a um, social scientist, I kind of started looking at these questions from that more scientific perspective. And I thought to myself that a lot of times people in power aren't going to listen to to just people's testimony of how much policing hurts them what what a lot of people in power um, want is data and I thought to myself if only I could collect enough data uh, to prove that raids have an impact on entertainers maybe someone will listen maybe it's just one small thing that that I can do to maybe make a difference and that's where Alex came in who does a lot of public service work, he just said, look, pick an organization that you think is doing good work that you'd like to help and just ask them what they need because most of the time they know what they need better. So I just emailed um, Allie and I was like, hey, I'm a Tulane student. I have you know, the resources that come with just being at an academic institution, you know, having the whole brand and the name and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what can I do to help? And she brought this research project to my attention educated me about the raids. Um, we talked a couple, like that, we think we meet like once or twice before we actually started. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's how we got together and s- kind of got this plan in most motion. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it was cool. I mean, I, I think one of my favorite things about you reaching out was that you didn't reach out um, with this sort of attitude of, hey, I'm a Tulane student. I'm here to help you. Here's my ideas. You actually reached out from a place of great humility um, and that, that you were so willing to learn, willing to listen, um, you know, really help me just trust you and know kind of off the bat like that we could work well together and you'd reached out to an organization that I'm in called Bear Nola I'm, I'm one of the people that can that checks the Bear Nola email where there's like a handful of us that, right. what that is, check uh, the email what does Bear stand for for those um, people that don't you know, know I don't think we even really use the acronym anymore but we're an organization dedicated to um, you know uh, advocating on behalf of people who work in the sex industry um bear is actually made up of a lot of different kinds of sex workers yes but um we do have a special focus on strippers um with you know just within the sex industry strippers kind of occupy this really unique place a lot of sex work um, and kinds of sex work is criminalized Uh whereas stripping is sort of a form of sex work that is considered legal but it's heavily policed, right. heavily criminalized, like looking at raids. So we kind of emphasize and focus on that, but it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of folks in that in that organization. But like, you know, this project is like a project of mine. I, I wouldn't say it like represents Bear, but I'm a member and that is how we got connected right. is because she reached yeah. out to Bear specifically um, when that was, you know, that's pretty cool. And uh, in the sex work, uh, so when it comes to sex work, there's different, uh, I guess, uh, categories, right? So there's uh, people who are dancers, entertainers. Uh, there's also people who are doms, right? Yep. There's dominatrixes, pro subs. Um, there's people. There's cam girls. There's people who do full service sex work. So that would mean you know they do um, whatever they can want to do and negotiate with that client. And full service people can advertise online. The since Fosta Sesta, which is a whole other bag right. of worms oh, um man. Yeah, since there's that, so many topics. a lot of online repression of people um who are trying to make a living and then there's also people who work outdoors right so within sex work there's people who work indoors and then there's people who work outdoors so um you know somebody who might be um looking for clients um on the street you know trying to flag down cars and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you know a lot of different people a lot of different categories i think it's worth mentioning though that you know all the aspects that we see in general society of like racism sexism classism sizeism all of that exists in in the sex industry as well um and we see that you know even in in clubs you know clubs can be very picky maybe kind of discriminatory as to who they hire um you know so we see all of these things um in regular society in sex work as well I've, I've been in that position like i've worked at both i worked at multiple clubs where they look for a certain kind of girls or a certain kind of look uh i've been to i've worked at clubs where they look for the big booty black girl mm-hmm. and i've been at the clubs where they want the uptight big boob blonde girl and uh it's you know it, it's really on the manager's um i guess it's the manager's call what they want to do what they're looking for and they're answering to somebody else so i understand they they're just doing what they're told yeah. But uh, yeah, I've I've seen all sorts of um, walks of life come through many doors and seeking a job and really just seeking ways to make like ends meet and oh, make yeah. uh, make a living. Uh, especially here in New Orleans, it's really hard. Uh, one of my first jobs, I was working at a, a place called Centerfolds on Bourbon Street, and uh, I remember this lady. She said she traveled here by train, and uh, she had one bag with her and three different outfits, and. They uh, it was for a day shift. They needed girls, and this girl looked like um, 
oh, I can't remember her name. She was married to Sylvester Stallone. Um, tall, blonde, uh, long legs. She was also in a she was also in a little relationship with Flavor Flav. Uh, Bridget Nielsen, that's her name. Oh. So she looked just like Bridget Nielsen, a uh, little a little aged, and um, she was really sweet, real sweet lady. And she was kind of my first uh, friend in the in the business, and we just kind of shared stories and talked about her traveling. And she was a great uh, great person to learn from. And I've been seeing somebody like her and understanding the story kind of made me respect every walk of life or understand every walk of life that comes through those doors is just really trying to make ends meet nobody wants like she told me nobody wants to dance so in my head i was like all right nobody really wants to dance they just want to make money and that was always my interpretation of why we're here we're all here for the money that's it definitely and that's why anyone does anything i mean i think a lot of people go to their jobs just because you know they've they want to make money. They'd rather sit at home watching Netflix. But I think it's also, you All know, there's a, there's a lot of varying things, right? Because I, I know some people who work in the sex industry and they, they really do just, they would rather be doing something else, but this is what they're doing right now or mm-hmm. what they're planning on doing. I know other people in the sex industry um, who are very much like really into what they're doing and they love it. I think often, more often the people who choose sex work are going to be people that do come from more privileged backgrounds and that's where you kind of get this sort of empowered sex worker narrative and I'm not I don't think that sex work is inherently empowering or inherently disempowering I think that like most other forms of labor um, you know there's going to be different levels and different uh, your your background and your level of agency and ability to choose whether that's sex work or whether that's any kind of work is going to impact how empowered you feel about your job. But I wanted to mention, just kind of going back to like what people do and why they do it, something that I noticed after the raids was that people who um, you know, couldn't get hired after three or so clubs closed in 2018 on Bourbon, um, and people who couldn't get hired, you know, there's less places to work, so there's now more strict. And so especially um, women of color, especially women who um, are more are more curvy or fat and they're not fitting that sort of stick thin um, model look um, had a harder time getting hired I actually had a friend who had to turn back to doing full service sex work even though she preferred to dance she really liked dancing she's really good at it she preferred it but because her club closed down after the raids she actually had to turn to riskier forms of sex work or sex work that she didn't want to do and it makes you kind of think right you know you have the government who are looking for human trafficking which is legally defined as force fraud or coercion and this young woman because of the actions of the government was forced and coerced into doing uh, forms of sex work that um, put her at greater risk of criminalization um, and other things that she wasn't into Um, so yeah do you still keep in touch with the girl? Yeah, I know her. Yeah. Uh, has she ever been encountered by a pimp uh, since the raids? You know, it's interesting. I think since the raids and then Fosta says to happen at the same time, I know a lot of people who've encountered um, yeah. pimps. They're coming out of the woodwork because they know that people can't advertise online anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. But I mean, I'd love to talk more about our study. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I know. I, I know. We're I all totally, like, I love how. Can you tell me what FOSTA SESTA stands for? Okay, yeah. Um, so FOSTA SESTA, that's like uh, FOSTA slash SESTA. Um, F O S T A, that stands for Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. And um, excuse me, I haven't finished my coffee. I'm like, SESTA is stop. <laughs> 
exploitation sex trafficking act um i'm like i'm sure there's a friend of mine listening probably face palming like how could you (laughs) not know but basically those are two federal laws that were passed in april of 2018 that essentially hold websites accountable for the content that is posted online so basically if you have a website and somebody posts an ad um for advertising um, sex work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and sex work is illegal, prost- what they call prostitution legally, um, is illegal. Um, that website will be held accountable for something. Even though they, you know, they didn't post it, they're just holding a website. They're held accountable for what users post online. And FOSTA-SESTA considers all prostitution is human trafficking. So these websites will be held accountable as agents of human trafficking, as accomplices in human trafficking, that they're enabling um, human trafficking. Oh, I think that's what it is. SESTA, Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. So it's the idea of, you know, and there's some very tragic stories that have happened where uh, women were abducted and somebody, the pimp or the the trafficker, a kidnapper basically posted it on Backpage. Um, But the thing is, is just like, Sexual assault is the exception within the norm of most sex is generally consensual. I would say that trafficking is kind of the exception, which in most sex work is, it's just more complicated than, oh, like you were trafficked or, oh, you're empowered. You know, there's one model that we call choice, circumstance, and coercion. And it's that some people choose it outright. Like I chose to to become a stripper um, on my own. Um, but I would also say that circumstance also sort of forced me into it. I was in a job. I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. I really needed some money. Um, you know, so circumstance kind of also forced me into it, but then I kept choosing it. Um, and then coercion. Some people are ending up coerced in, into the sex industry, and some of those people go out. Some people end up leaving those who coerce them and running independently. But I think it's just hard to fit our diversity of narratives um, into this sort of framework of either you're trafficked or you're empowered you know yeah forcing us into this box um and i think there's like a lot of people like to use the argument well wouldn't you want to be doing something else than this and that's i feel like a kind of ridiculous argument because you don't see people walking up to someone who's you know waiting tables or Mm -hmm. you know flipping burgers at mcdonald's and like well wouldn't you want to be doing something else like yeah i feel like majority of people yeah. are just trying to get by. And Stay home in Netflix. Yeah, yeah, they're not, like, watching Netflix and just living up Right. Or, you know. Yeah. So I feel like that's a kind of a bizarre argument to make for this specific type of work. Yeah, and when you see things like FOSTA-SESTA, you know, that actually has prevented um, sex workers from being able to post ads online. And that actually, being able to post ads online is what helped people leave um, pimps or other people that were just, you know, exploiting and mooching off of their labor. Um, so it's like after FOSTA SESA passed, I knew people who had old pimps hitting them up oh. saying, because they knew that these women and, and people in the industry were in a vulnerable position not being able to post ads anymore. Um, so it's, it's just really, it's really devastating. And I mean, I know people, you know, who just have been really traumatized, whether it's from raids, whether it's from loss of income because they can't post ads anymore. Um, you know. Also, these acts, um, they're put through based on kind of fudged statistics. Um, I know that a majority of times when they say, like, oh, these many people engaged in sex work have pimps, a lot of 
sometimes they include like boyfriends or family members who they're supporting with this money, but because they're you know helping out their family, and sometimes it's even just dependents that they have. Those people are then considered pimps because they're taking money from sex work. Yeah, basically, in the federal definitions of human trafficking, anybody who's involved in a sex worker's life can be charged with trafficking, whether that's the, you know, your friend who gave you a ride to um, to a job, whether that's your boyfriend who lives with you and shares your rent, um, can, yeah, literally be charged with pimping. Um, it's, it's really scary. And again, you know, people who are criminalized under these tend to be um, people who are more poor, um, black and brown people. You know, you don't see, like, and, you know, you don't see the, like, thin white stripper, you know, getting carted off to jail. You know, these kind of laws tend to have a discriminatory impact. And I noticed that after the raids, you know, the, a lot of women who weren't getting hired were women who were black or brown or who were um, fat. And they, and they are, you know, turning to other forms or having to go move. And so yeah. we took this sort of thing and, yeah. And we've actually survey one of the questions does ask like have because of the rates have you had to change your form of work and we've had women you know the survey is anonymous so we can't like say like who it was or anything like that but uh we've had women respond saying that they've had to change their form of sex work to um like from dancing to something more dangerous something they would prefer to not be doing yeah, yeah. and it's not saying that people who do full service don't want to do it there are plenty of people who do do full service they want to but not everyone does and you know if you are having to turn to that um because your other job option of dancing has been taken away i mean have we really stopped human trafficking or have we literally you know it's aggravated it so we formed this survey on a hypothesis that a significant portion of um entertainers who are subject to police raids um, could potentially suffer from PTSD or a negative financial impact. And that would be categorized by either their club shutting down, having to change cities, um, having to change forms of work, or just a decrease um, in money that they receive like yeah. every month. Uh, I know a family person who, I mean, the, the father was a bartender, barback, and the wife was a dancer. So they both lost their jobs uh, at two different clubs and, like, really put their family in jeopardy and, like, losing the house. They had to apply for food stamps. Uh, and then they got denied for food stamps, I think. Um, and, yeah, it was it was just a horrible time for them. And I think it was around – it was so it was October. So then, uh, yeah, it was definitely around the holidays because they were just scrambling, trying to find jobs to, like, to pick up uh, just to pay the rent. Yeah. And then I think they ended up moving. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, – yeah, it's a horrible time, and like just to put people in that predicament is just uh, devastating, especially when there's children involved. Oh, definitely. And, and uh, we've put in our survey, so we have two different sections. One evaluates the mental health impact, um, which is assessed with something called the Sprint PTSD test, which is a PTSD, it's like eight questions um, that they use to screen for PTSD in veterans, and it has like a 93% confidence rate yeah, of been, evaluating. Um, yeah, 98 actually. Okay. Um, so there's different levels where you can, if someone scores a certain level, you can cut them off. We've decided to use, if someone scores 14 points, we would classify them as having a potential for PTSD. And and then other times you can use 11 points.
points, but 11 is 93. We're using the higher. Okay, got it. So that's 98%. So they've seen that in uh, studies, they've given people this test and then had them evaluated by a professional. Yeah. And 98% of the time, someone who scores above 14 points also receives a PTSD diagnosis. Yeah. But the study goes, the actual test goes up to 36 points. Oh, wow. And I think the highest we've received is 34. Wow, yeah. Which is horrific, in my opinion. But yeah, so we have this section, like, you know, it's a couple, few questions um, using the Sprint PTC test. Again, we're not diagnosing anybody, but the idea is that by using uh, the Sprint PTSD test, we can give a confidence value yeah. that people who score high could probably be diagnosed if they went to a provider. And then the second impact, uh, the second part of the survey evaluates um, financial impact. So when we're asking about, um, you know, have have you had a change in finances? Was that change positive and negative? Have you had a change in work? Did you have to move? You know, those kind of questions. And we also have one question that evaluates attitudes toward um, law enforcement presence in the club. Um, the question is, uh, you know, if how do you do the presence of yeah. law enforcement, whether uniformed or undercover at your place of work, make you feel safer, yes or no? Um, this whole, it's interesting, 100% of people so far have reported that they do not feel safer with law enforcement Absolutely in their club. Not. And I think no. it's interesting because there's some people who put in the comments that they feel like, oh, police are just doing their jobs. But I think it's interesting because, you know, people don't feel safe. I know a young woman who was detained without her, like she was detained very traumatically, treated very roughly at the saloon raids. Um, so, you know, it's no wonder that people feel this way. And the survey is 100% anonymous. So we yeah. don't ask people what their name is, where they work. We have a few optional demographic questions at the end because we'd love to know, um, you know, just using just basic census demographic, like, race, ethnicity, number of dependents, because we want to know if you have yeah. children or dependents mm -hmm. and you're being impacted by this stuff, you what know. Yeah, and we've also seen that even people who haven't actually experienced the raid are experiencing mental health impacts because of this change in the work environment and just in general criminalization. We've gotten responses saying they feel like they're walking on eggshells, that they're constantly stressed, that even though they weren't at the raids, they they know people who have and they're worried that that's going to happen again. So even not being in this traumatic event has had a horror, like a large mental health impact on just dancers who are working there now. Yeah, even if they didn't experience a raid. And I, I mean, I haven't um, taken the survey, but I just will say that for me, you know, I didn't directly, I was never working while a raid has happened at a club. I've worked at a club that got raided, but I wasn't at work. But I've experienced, even to this day, I experience a lot of anxiety about going to work. You know, I sometimes just worry. I'm like, on a Friday night, I just say, is this happen. the night? Is this when it's going to happen? Is the rug going to be pulled out from under me? Um, and then just the change in the work environment that Alex mentioned, you know, they've begun a stricter enforcement of rules that have been on the books since the 50s. And there's this sort of attitude of if you break a rule, you can get fired because essentially the club considers you a liability. But some of these rules are really difficult to follow when you have a customer from Florida who's used to full nude pawing at your underwear and you're trying to say, hey, stop doing that. That's yeah. against the law here. You know, I know people who've been, you know, just fired just because it looked like they were breaking a rule, even if they didn't, weren't trying or they were trying to stop. And that kind of anxiety yeah. right, it gets no. to me. You know, I'm, I'm in school. I'm supporting myself. 
And I just think to myself, I mean, if there, if another raid happens or if I lose my job or, or something like that, I mean, I'm like screwed. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's not, there's not too many options when it comes to like, clubs that you could dance at. And no, not anymore. Not like, uh, I know when you worked at centerfolds and then that shut down after the operation trick or treat raids. Right. I mean, our, the number of clubs on bourbon street has shut down significantly since 2015. There's less places than ever to work. Right. And there's clubs in the East. I think it's important to note that. The East that, of New Orleans. You gotta, yeah, yeah, in New Orleans clarify. in general. But like, there's clubs in the East, too, and they've also experienced raids. Um, so. And uh, some of those clubs, you have to wear pasties, I believe, uh, yeah. outside of the French Quarter. You have to have something covering your nipples. Um, I, how, how, do they, how do they go about doing business? I mean, I always wonder. I, I've never really had to go out there for any reason. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of girls who work out in the East, and uh, I mean, you know, there's something magical about strippers. We are amazing. We're fun to be around. Right. I love. We're yeah. gorgeous. Um, <laughs> totally agree. You know, so yeah. I think that you know, you know, despite some of these increased strict rules, people, you know, it's definitely not as lucrative as it used to be. I mean, you know, but we still are getting by, right? Because mm. we're smart, we're innovative, we're hustlers. Yeah, fun. And uh, we're fun. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't like being around like just energetic people? Like, hey, what's up? Like, yeah. Yeah. A lot, I know a lot of guys who do go to those clubs. I mean, they're just seeking some companionship. And exactly. They want to talk to somebody. I mean, look, at least somebody pretty. Like, somebody like that's going to entertain them and just hold good conversation. That's really one of the hardest things to do for uh, a lot of people is just have a good conversation with somebody, especially in this day and age of technology like we were just talking about. I mean, going to school and being on that, that cell phone and then the laptop and then have the tablet there's not too much human interaction going on nowadays and yeah. uh, it's it's very admirable what a lot of women have to put up with uh inside those uh venues oh and yeah i've uh, i've seen i've heard i've i've been through so much so many um stories and like part of so many different uh, like i mean magical tales i i can go on about but uh not on the show <laughs> yeah no but it's wild i mean and i think that that's I think it's great. I think that adults, people who are over 18 or if they're going into a drinking establishment over 21, I think that adults should be allowed to have a little bit of um, adult fun. And, you know, people come to the strip club looking for companionship, but they also maybe want a little bit of flirty, too. You know, they want yeah. some they want some flirty companionship. They want to see um, beautiful naked ladies dance. That's how that's how it's been for millennia. People love to see. Uh, what's it called? Like the old. Yeah, you know, people love to be entertained and they love, um, you know, forms of entertainment that involve nudity and and a little bit of flirtation. You know, I I think that adults should be allowed to have adult fun. I don't I don't like the sort of Disneyfication of New Orleans that we're seeing all over. Um, You know, grownups need a place to be grownups like you can see crazier harder things in a movie at the broad theater or wherever or any mm-hmm. movie theater in america than you can in the strip club on new orleans now on bourbon street yeah on bourbon street like, i can do more like just on any club dance floor. like i can touch myself dance more provocatively just in a club oh, yeah. soon, whatever yeah not not in a strip club but just like a like, nightclub on, club, yo a nightclub. on bourbon street you could just walk yeah. down the street and see some girl flash her boobs and yeah. uh, i mean there's a lot more going on in Bourbon Street that you just, you'll see in some of these clubs. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because now in the clubs, the law that they're enforcing that's been on the books since the 50s is that in order to show the nipple of the female breast, it discriminates against the female breast, mm-hmm. you have to be 18 inches off the ground yeah. and three feet away from the nearest patron. Yeah. 
So yeah, you can see a chick on Bourbon Street flash herself to get some beads, uh, and she's not 18 inches off yeah. the ground. It's not um, illegal to not wear a shirt. I mean, I mean, like there was that huge movement in New York where like women would walk around because it's not illegal. Well, it actually is. There's an obscenity law. Um, I forgot the number, the title number. Orleans? Yeah, there's an obscenity yeah. law in Louisiana. It's a Louisiana state statute on obscenity, and it says that you can't show the nipple but i mean the thing is is that these laws again were written in the 50s um and without any sort of attention they're discriminatory against specifically female nipples so i think that that's worth noting is that you know we're we're being judged on the basis of laws that were created by people who are dead now (laughs) (laughs) or close uh or or close close to to die i'm like i don't think that you know uh, times change yeah i I was about to say that so that was in a different time i mean i can imagine just uh people ladies were covered up i remember bathing suits back then weren't as uh, revealing as they were today um i mean i always when i think about that time i always reference greece for some reason just because that's automatically what pops up the 50s movement and uh i mean the cheerleaders with their long skirts and Mm -hmm. like their sweaters all the way up to the neck they weren't as revealing as they are nowadays and i went to high school in the 90s so i i saw like american pie and i was like oh man this this is the best movie ever (laughs) and uh like nowadays i mean a, a kid could just go on his little cell phone or even on youtube and there's ways to find if you know how to like backdoor some way in there and you can see uh see a lot more than you'll ever see i mean before uh i remember i had to like sneak a hbo or a cinemax in when i was a kid nowadays it's not that hard to just get online and find what you want to find yeah it's hard though but and then when we go back to fosta sesta though you know you'll see you know playboy and maxim and big media outlets can post as much content as they want Mm -hmm. that's sexually provocative but Um, strippers, even um, pole dance enthusiasts who aren't strippers, um, and then other people who are advocating for sex workers are being um, shut, their accounts are being shut down because of FOSTA-SESTA, right? So, you know, when we talk about what's allowed, you know, it's always, you know, big money is allowed to do whatever they want, and then all these people who should have the right to express themselves or First Amendment protection Um, is being violated. And I think that Title 26, which is Louisiana statute that says that I have to be 18 inches off the ground and three feet away from somebody in order to dance topless, um, you know, I think that infringes on my First Amendment protections. The law also says that I can't touch my own body while I dance. Yes, I found that ridiculous. Yeah, if you're dancing and you're just expressing yourself, this is an art form that includes moves where you might have your hand on your own body for emphasis. my dancing is an art form what people take from it is on them it says in title 26 that no entertainment should be intended to arouse and i argue that if i'm dancing at the strip club i'm not intending to arouse anybody i'm dancing for me if somebody feels that type of way that's on them you know people can feel however they want to feel about my art but i should be allowed to express my art and entertain the masses of people who come to visit New Orleans, show them a beautiful time, give them a great New Orleans memory um, of watching me dance. If you go to a pole competition, there are moves that people can do at a pole competition uh, that I can't do as a stripper. And strippers invented pole dancing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is ridiculous. Yes. Uh, Wow. I mean, yeah, you put a lot of things in perspective. Uh, Some things I just, I didn't even think about. But, um, all right, so what do you think is, what, what do you want the outcome to be from uh, your survey? 
So we want to survey at least um, 50 to 100 um, people. Again, our survey is evaluating, um, for those just joining us, our uh, NOLA RAID survey is evaluating the mental health and financial impact of raids on dancers in New Orleans. Um, specifically New Orleans. Specifically right? New Orleans. So we're not doing this nationwide. We're just focusing local because, you know, that's just where I live and what I've experienced. But yep. we're just trying to figure out, you know. Yeah, and this is the first study of its kind. Like, there was no type of like, way to, we could build off of it, off of anyone else's work. So we're still right. trying to start small, maybe continue after this. But, yeah, it's also, like, 100% anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, Great. We also offer you know for people who are willing to give their time to do this survey and talk about something that was you know traumatic experience for them like we will give like a ten dollar amazon yes oh yeah I forgot we about offer that. we <laughs> offer an incentive yeah, yeah. and it's a uh, and it's um Ladies. the survey takes an average of three minutes to complete yeah. christmas is around the corner yeah right so it's literally um you know it's only three minutes of someone's time um, I know just as dancers, you know, people and, and deserve to get paid for sharing their experience. This is know? not limited to dancers. This could be security, no, managers. No, this is only dancers. Only so dancers. So we're specifically dancers. focusing on dancers, although I totally hear um, hear it. You know, this the raids impact all people who work yeah. in the strip club, waitresses, yeah. bartenders. But I'm not a waitress. I'm not a bartender. I'm not a DJ. Um, I'm, I'm a dancer. I'm an entertainer. I'm a stripper. Um, and that's the community I can speak of the most. Right. And you don't have to have experienced the raid to, as long as you're a dancer in New Orleans, over 18, um, you can take the survey as and well. And you could be a new dancer. You don't, you never had to have been You had to have at least worked between 2015 and 2018. Okay. Or no, no, no. No, no in present. You you're right. You're right. Uh, at least from 2018, I think, yeah. is what we were requiring. Cause yeah. Because the newest uh, amount of raids. But like Alex said, yeah, a person does not have to have experienced a raid or worked at a club that got raided. Um, and it's important that those people do take this survey because we need to be able to control and compare those who experienced it versus those who didn't. So we can see, is there a higher incidence of high PTSD score yeah. um, in people who experienced raid? Is there no correlation? I mean, what we're trying to do is make sure it's it's not easy to brush off these findings yeah. and make it as you know iron i guess ironclad as possible so if we just um looked at women who had experienced the raid i mean it'd be very easy for someone to say oh well i mean maybe that's just you know part of being a dancer you have high mm. mental health problems right. you have financial instability but if we have women who weren't part of the raids you know and we have you know scoring low on the ptsd test versus women who were scoring high we can say like look this is like a definitive change in someone's mental health because of this incident this one's time yeah and i think like this might be a good time to sh share with you what we found so far yeah please i do i if you have the information i would definitely like to hear it definitely uh, um yeah we actually um we were reached out to by a reporter on the new york times and she was asking about oh. just some findings and she did this great article about, you know, grassroots sex work organizations. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to be mentioned in that. Yeah, she kind of just, she just mentioned it. Like, yeah. I was hoping she'd share some of our findings, yeah. but it's cool. So she kind of linked have, to like, us. we have, some findings all worked out yeah. for that. Um, this isn't, like, our survey collection isn't done, um, so this is all preliminary. But as of right now, um, we are we're doing, like, a 56-44 split of women who were present versus not present in the raid. So we have a pretty even... Uh, comparison and then 84% of the women who were present during a raid 
um, scored at risk of PTSD. And like I said, that's either a 14 or above. And this is the same survey that they give veterans? Or yeah. this is the same? It's, it's yeah, same, the same questions. Same okay. questions given to um, veterans, people who have survived, you know, um, traumatic events. Yeah. You know, they give a survey of like rape victims. It's, and then it's been shown that if you're above a 30, the, the PTSD test goes up to a 36. That's like to the point uh, that person might need to be hospitalized because they might have, you know, horrible flashbacks, suicide ideation, those types of things. So, and we've had people score above a 30. I mean, yeah. And I mean, are those things that people have to get medicated for? I mean, there's a lot of different treatment options for PTSD. So we, you know, and we're not doctors, but, you know, certainly for some people, medication could be one option for their treatment. But we do ask in the survey and the uh, demographic portion at the end, we have one question about whether or not somebody has health coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, because if somebody's scoring high on the Sprint PTSD survey, indicating that they might you know, be great candidates for um, you know, going to therapy or getting other kinds of mental health treatment, but don't have medical coverage. Yeah, since 61% of the people that were at risk for PTSD didn't so therefore, Jeez. they can't seek affordable mental health care. And I think it's worth mentioning there's all kinds of ways and modalities of healing. Um, you know, some people w- would want to pursue, um, you know, mental health care through a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, it's important to note that there's forms of treatment that maybe aren't covered by insurance that people might look into, like Reiki and, um, you know, massage and hypnotherapy. But, you know, I think it's important to note that some people would really want to see um, a specific mental health professional to get treatment, but, you know, a lot of these yeah. people And also, depending don't on your health insurance, you may not even, that might, mental health treatment might not even be covered. Exactly. I mean, we that's a whole thing with the health coverage in our country, but I think... We can't even get into that right We can't now. even get into that. <laughs> no, yeah. But, I mean, I think it's wild to me. I mean, 84% of participants who were present during a raid scored at risk of PTSD. Almost everybody who experienced a raid has signs and symptoms of PTSD related to that raid incident. Yeah, that's a that's a heavy number. And I mean, th- again, this is just our preliminary findings. Mm-hmm. We, these are real people. These are people these are that people. worked on worked yeah. in the quarter that worked in New Orleans, and, and we're just trying to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah. And we've gotten we did have the option of you know if you want to share you know more. Uh, qualitative, you know, just talking about your experience, you can, like, that's not required, Um, but we've had a lot of women who have given, you know, paragraphs of, you know, how this rape has affected them, their life, and, I mean, we really want to be able to include that in whatever type of material that we produce from this, because it's really persuasive to see, like, how this has affected real people. It's not just, you know, numbers, and, you know, for some people, you know, just hard numbers of percentages and statistics is really persuasive. And for others, you know, hearing someone say, hey, I don't feel safe at my place of work where I have to go seven days a week yeah. um, is also really persuasive. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what I love about working with you is that I've come from the more qualitative background, done a lot of community health work, but I've never, you know, I'm, I'm, as a graduate student, I'm kind of starting to get into that more math numbers stuff, but you've done a lot more of that. And I've loved working with you because we've just, I feel like we've been able to really learn a lot from each other. How long y'all been working together? About a year. Yeah, yeah. over a year now. Um, but I think we, yeah, we complement each other really well because obviously, you know, Allie has so much experience and, you know, I think a good thing to remember is, especially 
for someone who's listening who is wants to go into research um, outside of you know the academic ivory tower is the people you're working with are experts on their community. Ali knows so much more than me about you know just how you know the stripper world works and um, is able to help out with that. And you know she's and then I can provide you know how to analyze data, how to do the you know the IRB working with human subjects and you know jumping through all those like logistical oh, yeah. red tape hoops and stuff like that. You also um, helped apply for a grant through yeah. Tulane's Research Endowment, and that's why we're able to give um, ten dollar Amazon gift cards to participants. Yeah, you so know, nice. What's the website again? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, so. Yeah, for those who are, if you're listening and you are a person who danced in New Orleans at any time between 2015 and 2018, we are including Operation Trick or Treat, so maybe some of y'all are listening and that happened a long time ago, but Mm. you kind of remember that. Um, You are able to take this survey. Yeah, um, it's an anonymous link. Wait, what's the bit.ly? We have a bit.ly for it. Um, I'm looking on our Sorry. poster. No, One no, sec. Yeah, no, um, I, I, but I think it's worth mentioning too. Um, our bit.ly is, it's a little long, but bit.ly slash two capital L one capital L V R O. Yes. That's two, the number two? Yeah. Okay. So two number two L one L V R O. Um, yeah. Link. And you can find our link. I, um, if you also just want to email us at nolaraidstudy at gmail.com and we can send you a link to that. Um, none, no emails. You can make a new email and send it to us and then destroy it afterwards. Nothing people send us through email or text um, because we do have our phone numbers up on flyers mm-hmm. is kept. Everything is destroyed and will, nothing will be included in any kind of All right. Yeah, yes. We aren't sharing anybody. I think that's really important to us is that it's confidentiality. Um, you know, not everyone who dances is out as doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and we do want to let people know, like, if you contact us for any reason, all of that gets destroyed. Like, we basically don't even remember who contacts us anymore no, because no, we are, we don't we want this to be as anonymous as possible yeah. to protect the safety of dancers and basically we're just kind of compiling all this data we hope to write a paper mm-hmm. um the information stops i'm sorry not the information oh yeah. but the contact information stops at you right so yeah. you're saying you There's get rid no of it one else. It's, it's just us it's just two, two of us all right so yeah, we're yeah not. it's gonna get to you all and then just get thrown away like yep. no one well yeah. the information is gonna carry on but the actual contact information, whoever emailed you, called you, it doesn't go past anonymous. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's important to like note, just because we're doing this study through Tulane and with Tulane money and all of that, that doesn't Tulane doesn't get to look at no. anybody's data at all. This is literally just, the, honestly, the two of us. And yeah. then we right. do have like an advisor, like a faculty yeah, advisor. She helped us like design the survey, making sure it wasn't too, like we weren't leading anyone on to say yeah but um, she doesn't even have access to the email or to the data right now. she's <laughs> not even in the country we've kind of been doing this on our own it's great yeah but yeah it's completely anonymous i mean i think the only thing is if is we obviously will know that you're in new orleans and if you choose to do the demographic questions but but we don't otherwise. know once the survey is taken though we actually don't know who took it yeah. so okay. if somebody emails us that's one thing but if somebody takes the survey like we can't link we have no idea, like who and you're took not the gonna survey. go. You're not gonna go looking for some catfish or anything. You're no, not, I know. mean we just we just want to we just are like 
you know, I think that a main reason of doing this uh, is just that I wanted to show through data the experiences of my community that I've witnessed every day. And, um, you know, that's it. Like, we're, we just want to, we want to try to do good, not yeah. evil. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of work that's being done by, you know, grassroots sex worker organizations like SWAP does a lot of good research. But the problem is there's a lot of gatekeeping in academia. Um, and if it's a grassroots organization doing a study, it's not viewed as reliable. I'm, I'm using air quotes right now, but it's not viewed <laughs> as reliable um, information, which I find ridiculous. But that is another reason why we chose to partner with Tulane and why Ali chose to partner with Tulane, because it's able to give that kind of stamp of, hey, we, we've checked all the boxes. We've done everything you know, by the book in terms of academia and being able to say that this is valid findings, even though there's tons of people out there doing great work. Yeah. They aren't considered valid. Yeah. And that, that was that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I was going to just do this on my own, honestly. Like I really was going to just collect a bunch of data by myself. That was my plan. And then Alex just happened to reach out and I just thought to myself, a Tulane student means I'll be able to get that yeah. legitimization. Um, and I think it's worth noting. I mean, you know, even though I am a, a sex worker and somebody from the sex work community who's trying to do this research, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, also a thin white woman who works at a more upscale strip club, uh, generally. So I, I, you know, I'm also coming to this with also like my own privilege and experiences, however limited over the last five years. I, can't, I just kind of keep saying it because I'm like, I can't believe I've been dancing for, for five years now. It's kind of wild to me. But, you know, there's sort of a limitation on my own perspective. Like, just because I'm coming from within the community doesn't mean I'm an expert on everybody's experience. So, yeah. you know, we hope that this survey can just give weight to what people are going through. I Thank you. I got to say that. Thank you for just doing this because it takes a lot of initiative and uh, time and someone with actually like a good heart and mind to come through and want to do something good in this uh crazy world that we've that we've worked in and yeah. uh you know i've i've met all walks of life and um i mean yeah it's just good it's good to see good people behind uh a great effort and um yeah i, I really i really commend you guys for just doing good and thank you thank you both uh, well, it's not the end of the show. We're so yeah. <laughs> I, I know we're starting. I'm like, oh well, thank you for having us. No, no, <laughs> no. I, no, really though, thank you for having us. I mean, it just, it's nice to get the word out, you know. Absolutely, yeah. no. It's it's very important that we do because uh, I remember the time when all these raids were happening. Uh, I was I was pretty active on social media, and I was like, hey, uh, this is uh, BS. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, yo, I'm I'm kind of out the job right now. Like, um, I th I had lost one of my jobs because of the raids. And I was kind of, I was worried for some time. It was like, oh man, uh, Christmas around the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, I, like this, I shouldn't have been spending the money like I was. But that was a great thing about the business. Like we were making great money mm -hmm. doing, uh, having fun. Really, just having fun. Just having a good time. No, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think back to my baby stripper days, and I think to you know the money was just there. It was just so much more plentiful. Things were way more chill way more lax there were plenty of clubs to work at so if you got fired or wanted to leave your club you don't yeah. want to work there anymore you had 10 different clubs right. you could choose I, well, to I'm work from yeah. <laughs> but and then just i think to myself like if i have you know i have these awesome hustling skills now after five years if i could just go back in time when the money was that good right. and like use the skills but 
you know, hey, yeah. we all live, we learn. And I think it's a little ironic that it's gotten, like, the business has gotten so much more restrictive, and at the same time, I think stripping in general has become more glamorized. Oh, my God. Yeah. Let me tell you. And yes. What the, the Hustlers movie. The, I, knew, I, I haven't seen the movie yet. You didn't see it? No, I really want to, but I want to go with an unbiased opinion, because... Uh, I, I wanted the, the whole, the I guess, the hype to settle down. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to have my own just to myself. Because if I, if I went with a friend, the only friends I really have are people who are in this business. Yeah. So they already know, like, hey, hey, I'm like, no, sh- don't say nothing. I want to I wanna watch the show or watch the movie. Um, so I do want to watch it alone so I can sing it away so it comes on DVD. But um, I, I want to see it with the understanding that I'm just viewing it, not that I've been in this business. And uh, I, you're right. It's been kind of glamorized, and it's I, Cardi B here. Shout out to Cardi B. She definitely put it on for a lot of dancers. And remember Eve? Do you remember the oh, rapper Eve? Eve, Eve yeah. she was a rap or she was a dancer in her time uh, before she started rapping and singing. And now she's on The View. She does uh, movies. She's married to some uh, rich millionaire with uh, four kids, and she's playing mom now. And she's doing great things with her life. And she's a former dancer. And just like a lot of people that I've met in this business. They went on to create families, uh, have homes, uh, plug, I mean, not plug, uh, create businesses. Uh, one of the awakenings, uh, great, great uh, example. Stripper uh, owned business right there. Hey, uh, yeah, shout out to Jill. What's up, Jill? Uh, she's supposed to come on soon. Um, oh, really? Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, I love her. She's probably tired. We had a, a the student showcase at Awakenings last night. So we, on Canal or within the Bywater? Um, we had it at the Canal Street Studio. I say we. I mean, I just helped a. You know, I just helped hey, out a little we bit. We are a community. Yeah, you know, we are a community. We did it. <laughs> and, I mean, and I love though. I think especially with the glamorization of stripping and and the popularity of pole dancing. I think I think it's great that people want to pole dance. I think it's great that people want to do whatever they need to do to express themselves, have fun. It's a mm-hmm. great way to get fit especially at awakenings it's a great community but i think it's important that you know people who aren't strippers gotta you know gotta give cred to the strippers who pole danced with stigma for years who maybe Absolutely. had to hide the fact that they were a pole dancer you know to, to people like jill who really like paved the way um for people for people now and and you know with hustlers you know i won't i won't do any spoilers you know like any kind Thanks. of depiction <laughs> it's you know, it's it's full of it's full of good. It maybe is full of not so good. And there's some some of those issues with the woman who's represented in the movie. You know, didn't want a, the movie to be made. But I gotta say that as far as being a stripper and what it's like to watch people in the sex work um, and and just strippers on screen, normally I'm very disappointed with the depiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say with Hustlers though, watching that. I felt really seen. I, I really did. I, I was like, wow, I'm watching what it's like to go through a shift at the club on the big screen. I'm watching like the reality of how one minute you're on the stage, an hour later, you're you're bouncing up and down, um, you know, dancing for someone. Then an hour later, you're just talking to the bartender. You know, you have the, all these different moods. You know how it is in the strip Absolutely. club. It's loud, it's dark, and every, you know, hour I'm going through something different. You know, one <laughs> hour I'm in the champagne room, like, guys crying on my shoulder. Uh, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, two hours yeah. later, I'm like, in a handstand twerking in the lap dance booth twerking in a handstand yeah. don't like, forget uh being in the dressing room eating lunch eating your yeah, quick uh <laughs> eating my pizza <laughs> you know talking to people uh you know listening to you know somebody who's 
ranting about a customer that night and and then you hear the dj calling you over the loudspeaker and you're stuffing pizza in your mouth walking down the stairs and eight inch stilettos like oh god i gotta get down to the to the stage now like it's crazy it's like it's you know i would say it's like everything that you one would expect and probably a lot more uh than they would ever know. I would say going into this industry, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but I certainly came with my own preconceived notions of what dancing was. And I got to say all of that's been blown out of the water yeah. over the last five years. I, yeah, I totally agree. I, when I got into this business, I knew my mentality was going to change in how I viewed women. Uh, like going from the military into this nightlife business, I, I, I just came in knowing that my mindset would not be the same when I got out. And sure enough, got out and I have much more respect for women now uh, than I did before I got in. And that's kind of sad to say, but it's a it's a truth. I love it. Yeah, no, it's the it's a, it is a god honest truth. Like I have so much more respect for women in the business and just women in general and what they've gone through, especially like being the the male uh, r- the male employee surrounded by women and then hearing the horror stories. You know, I had to be the the big brother. I had to be the the good, the great uncle. I had to be the dad, the brother. I had to be the 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 friend. The friend. I had to be the shoulder to cry on. I had to be everything uh, for uh, for different women in different times in different venues for different reasons. And you got to pick our music. Yeah, <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> now, uh, there's a there's a lot of great things I did in, that, in those clubs, but um, just encountering every different kind of woman and what they're doing with their life was great and when those raids happened and we started going to all those city council meetings mm-hmm. and all those uh just uh empowering things that i never thought i would be a part of. i never went to a city council meeting in my life until i got into this business yeah and they're like hey look we're all meeting here we're gonna do this and going into that city council room and just every seat filled standing room only mm-hmm. uh it was and just all these great women that i've worked with before and managers and djs bar bags bartender security every kind of employee just in seats and waiting to have their three minutes to speak it was uh it was very empowering and um i'm I'm glad i was a part of it and saw how we as people can change the outcome of our own future that was definitely something that i noticed too was like when i started to become more you know invested in the community um just how politically active these women are like i'm just I'm blown away. Like, I follow a lot of, like, stripper pages now, like, dancer pages, and, you know, they're just always, like, on top of their stuff, like, fighting for, you know, their rights, and it's just, it's it's really amazing to see. I think yeah. if you look into every major social movement, what you will find is sex workers in those movements putting a lot of their own personal income into these movements, putting a lot of their time into these movements, because I think really often sex workers tend to be the ones who have the most schedule flexibility. Um, A lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times we do kind of create our own schedules. Um, And a lot of, a lot of sex workers use that in order to give back to their communities, to put their, put their time and effort into social justice movements. A lot of, a lot of us, you know, financially end up supporting social justice movements just because you know just because we we can um because we're able to through this work and and i think that it's really cool i mean i think sex workers really do tend to be like some of the wokest people because often we are at the intersection of 
different forms of oppression, different different aspects of life. And, you know, I, I mean, I honestly just want to give a shout out to, you know, all all the sex workers out there who've who've, you know, past, present and in the future, who've really been um, who are just existing and who are putting so much good into the world and, and just, you know, in, in all of the city council stuff and stuff that went down with Bear, you know, there were a lot of people who helped make that happen. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't know if I would still be trying to help make a difference in the world if it wasn't for a lot of those for a lot of those women, yeah. um, you know. So shout out, shout out to the hoes making it happen. The ladies. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely uh, during those council meetings, I was definitely uh, I had my my piece to say of, with a lot of the girls. I mean, they I have girls who show me how to how to braid hair and uh, like I'm a father. So. I sent my daughter to school and like, let me brush your hair, girl. Like, all right, we're good. They showed me how to do a French braid. They they taught me how to be a good father, a good role model, and just to listen. That was like one of the things that I just didn't really do until uh, I started working with women. And it's like, look, this is what needs to get done. Like, oh, okay. Let me just hear you. I can I can hear you, but now I can listen to you. Now I need to listen to you. And I, I definitely learned so much more from women uh, working in this business and yeah shout out to all the all the lovely ladies that like put me on and like helped me out and helped me grow as a man and uh it's been a it's been a great time in this business shout out to to, to men that are down to listen i think that's so often all that we want from men is just to listen sometimes Everyone not have to fix it ev- not not have to fix everything sometimes you just just need a friend to listen man yeah. and i love that i love that change of perspective that we get my mom has submitted a question. No. Hey, mom, what do you got to say? So, question from a listener who happens to be my mother. <laughs> um, Linda, shout out. Hey, Linda. She says, can you speak to the amazing athleticism involved in dancing as well as the impact on your body, injuries, etc." Linda, honey, listen, listen, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go to it because uh, I've, I've tried my best to get on the pole and uh, I, could climb, I could climb the top. I cannot do the uh, what's it called the the flagpole the flagpole yeah. yes that's you can climb to the top of the thirty foot pole yeah at Hustler I I did that wow. I did that several times that's uh, am- I've got to see that you got to come at Saloon that. when they had a spinning pole I'll, that's where I learned on the spinning pole at uh at Saloon nice and uh but then I I kind of <laughs> there's a video out there of me climbing up the thirty foot pole just to get a slice of pizza from someone on the second floor and then I sit all the way down and did the splits just <laughs> just for show. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, tell us about the amazing athleticism. She's also got more questions coming. Um, but yeah, to speak Linda. to the athleticism and dancing, I think that I think it depends, frankly, on the club that you work at. Because some clubs really don't give a darn about what kind of dance moves you do. There, are, you know what I mean. There are some clubs true. out there all Very over the true. country that I know there are tiny mom and pop clubs that don't have a pole. You know, some clubs really the dancing isn't even much part of it. Other clubs, dancing and stage tips are a huge source of income. And I would say as somebody who's worked generally at at clubs that have an emphasis on the dancing and on the pole tricks, um, you know, I learned a lot of that on the job, on a spinning pole, during a day shift, Mm. you know, um, I I mean, I took a class at Awakenings. Oh, my God. It's oh, hard. You have? It's so hard. I had bruises <laughs> all over my legs. I had no idea like how to move at all. Oh, I did. I mean, I entered this industry um, 
with no experience, no dance moves. Um, they just hired me because I was thin, white, and young. Uh, Say it ain't so. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I would come home from my shifts at the club with all of these crazy bruises from learning pole. My boyfriend would be like, what is going on over there? Are they there? beating you? Yeah, no. I, mean, I, I mean, he was really concerned because of these bruises, but that happens whether you're in a strip club or in a pole studio when you're yeah. learning pole. Um, basically, your nerves are, are getting used to um, the impact. And I mean, mom, we'll talk about another time. But the impact on the body is dancers are often really tired. We're often really tired and really sore and living in an Epsom salt bath. I know dancers, <laughs> we have like online groups and stuff online and people are always asking about injury tips and prevention. Mm. I know a lot of dancers who are in physical therapy um, just because they they want to keep working, but they don't want to hurt their bodies anymore. I mean, yeah. for those who have an emphasis on dancing as part of their hustle, injury prevention, I think, should be a huge part. Um, I would say anyone listening who's thinking about this or maybe they're dancing and they haven't been feeling very good physically lately, I think that you know, investing time and in injury prevention is important. And that means staying hydrated while you're at work. Ooh, yeah. um, things like Arnica cream, CBD cream, you know, for bruises. Um, some people might switch to a lower um, heel height um, because sometimes the higher heel height can be harder on your feet, your legs. I have a lot of issues with my knees and my quads because um, I do a lot of floor work moves, which is hard on your knees. Um, I worry a lot about like premature arthritis, but often dancers aren't insured. We, you know, nope. we're independent contractors, so uh, our job does not insure us. And I would say a big, big part of injury prevention for me is just knowing that I don't want to take any risks at work that uh, would land me in the hospital yeah. out of a oh. job. I've seen a couple injuries on the stage. Like yeah. I've seen girls do the the dead drop and hit their jaw, and uh, girls who crack their teeth. Yeah, uh, I mean, broken we, a nail, but actually broke a finger. Oh, yeah, and uh, I once fell off of a trapeze at a club. Yeah, uh-huh. I was. Were you spinning? I was doing a single leg hang on a trapeze, and I fell like seven feet to the ground on the stage. What'd you land on your back face? Hmm, I kind of landed on, I think, kind of on my back. I have really good reflexes. I'm really good at landing but it was hard because i was so embarrassed i mean i'm just in nothing but a g-string i just fell off a trapeze everyone watching thinks i must be wasted and i'm just froze and i said hey guys i'm okay because i didn't want anyone to worry and i didn't want management to think i was a liability right, right. and i just was kind of sitting there wearing nothing but a g-string and slowly one by one every customer just poof like made it rain a couple dollars on me. And it was All like, right. I'm like trying not to cry because of the pain. And like slowly, I'm serious. Like they kind of just started lining up and then one by one, poof, Yee. made it rain, poof. And I just was <laughs> like, I'm like, just oh. going like, thank you. I was so embarrassed. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And there's another question from my mom. Hold she on, says, hold on. We okay. want to get back to that. Yeah. We're going to have to take a quick music break. All right. Linda, thanks. we're going to get back to you shortly, thanks, right? Thanks, <laughs> All right, this Sorry. is WAMF 90.3. FM, the voice of the people. 